The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Bill Graff, and I'm sitting in for Rebecca Costa today. She's in Australia speaking at the FSC conference, and she planned to do the broadcast live from the town of Cairns, but we hit a bit of technical issues with two satellite bounces, and she asked me to guest host, which is, after all, an honor, and I'm happy to do so. As many of you already know, I help produce and engineer this program, and uh, I join here in the second hour every week, so I'm familiar with what Rebecca does. We have um, quite a program for you today. In just a moment, former Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar will be joining us. We'll be talking about the reasons he supports the building of the Keystone Pipeline and just where energy policy in the United States is headed. But before Mr. Salazar does join us, let me tell you a little about his background, as is Rebecca's custom. Kenneth Lee Salazar was born in Alamosa, Colorado. His ancestors made that part of the country their home in the 16th century, when it was part of New Spain. He is one of those rare Americans whose family did not immigrate to this country, but instead was here long before the United States came into existence. Salazar earned his undergraduate degree in political science from Colorado College and his law degree from the University of Michigan. After graduating law school, Salazar practiced law before becoming the chief counsel to Governor Roy Romer in 1986. Later, Governor Romer appointed him to become the director of the Department of Natural Resources in Colorado. Then in 1999 and again in 2002, Salazar was elected attorney general, where he is credited with instituting a gang prosecution unit, an environmental crimes unit, a general fugitive crime unit to target murderers, and for strengthening fraud laws. In 2005, he was elected Senator of Colorado, a position he served until 2009 when he was appointed Secretary of the Interior by President Barack Obama. As Secretary, Salazar oversaw agencies in charge of water management, fish, wildlife, mining, public lands, national parks, and relations with the American Indians. Mr. Salazar retired from that post last year and joined the law firm of Wilmer Cutler, Pickering, Hale, and Dorr. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former Secretary of the Interior, Ken Salazar. Welcome, Mr. Salazar. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you very much, Bill. Good to be with you. Uh, I know that one of the reasons Rebecca wanted to invite you onto the show is that you don't always see environmental and business interests at odds with one another. In those instances where, uh, with a little bending, you saw benefits to both sides, um, you came under fire from both environmentalist and corporation uh, interests. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start with the Keystone Pipeline as an example. Is there a way for the pipeline to be a plus for the environment and for energy independence at the same time? Uh, Bill, uh, first let me say it's uh, great to be on the Costa Show. It's a great show, and I like to listen to it as as well. On uh, your question on the Keystone Pipeline, I, I think that uh, part of what has happened here is that the debate has been framed in a way that overlooks some very important conservation values that uh, could be brought about with uh, the pipeline. And just to uh, sum it up, you know, I, I think that if you look at the places where the pipeline is traversing is traversing some of the most uh, important ecosystems of the nation, including uh, Dakota grasslands, the prairie potholes, the places in Nebraska, which uh, have some of the most important wildlife values in America. And I've always thought that if the pipeline were to be built, that uh, one of the things that could happen is that you could essentially put into place the term and condition of the pipeline, the uh, 
revenue stream that would help uh, in the preservation of the Dakota grasslands and the prairie potholes. Much of that acreage is now being uh, turned over, plowed over uh, for uh, by, by farmers. Uh, these are ranch lands that have been there forever, but because of the high price of, of corn and other commodities, they're being plowed over at the rate of thousands of acres a year. So organizations like Ducks Unlimited, uh, during my time as Secretary of Interior, we worked very hard on the protection and long-term preservation of, of that very important area. So I think there could be structured a win-win for the environment that at the same time would allow the pipeline to move forward. Uh, and at the end of the day, if we don't bring the oil in from uh, Canada, it's going to be brought in from some other place. Well, a month ago, the State Department agreed with you reporting that uh, with no major environmental objections, uh, is there any standing in the way of the pipeline at this point? I mean, is it is it a, a go? Uh, Bill, it's not yet a go because the State Department still will have to issue its uh, permit. And, uh, you know, we don't know yet what the terms and conditions would be will be of the permit or whether the Department of State will decide that uh, it's not going to issue the permit. So it could go either way. And I don't have any insight or information as to which way it ultimately will go. My own view is, A, it should go, uh, and B, uh, if it does go, then you should have terms and conditions uh, attached to the permit that would allow for a major conservation uh, matter to be addressed uh, as a high priority for the North American conservation agenda. Well, you know, the other thing we should talk about when we talk about the Keystone Pipeline is a $7 billion project. It's been a long time since we've had that kind of a project project of this geographic magnitude as well, the pipeline would extend from Western Canada to the Texas coast. What's the plan for tackling the project environmentally? Uh, I mean, uh, do you start at one end and and go all the way along, uh, you know, taking care of things, or do you try to do it all at once? Well, you know, the southern leg of the pipeline has already been built, so what's here in the U.S. is a a big portion of it has already been built. What has not been built is the... uh, Trans, transboundary pipeline that would bring the the oil from Canada, and we also need to recognize that there's all been there's already an, a number of pipelines that bring uh, oil from uh, Canada into the United States, and uh, those were approved without the same kind of controversy that has attracted uh, that has been attracted by by the Keystone Pipeline. So, in terms of the mitigation uh, for the environment, I think that because the permit will cover the extent of the pipeline. Uh, the environmental mitigation, the conservation measures that should be put into place should be put into the area of the pipeline itself. And uh, that's uh, in the Dakotas, Nebraska, uh, and through the areas that the, that the pipeline will traverse. The, there's a important link here to climate change and to CO2 emissions because one of the arguments that is made against the pipeline is that you shouldn't have more oil coming through the pipeline because it's going to increase uh, CO2 emissions. I think the counter argument to that is, one, uh, the oil that's going to be consumed here in the U.S. is nonetheless going to be consumed. It'll just come from Saudi Arabia or Venezuela or some other place. Mm -hmm. But secondly, the carbon dioxide emissions, frankly, uh, that come from the plowing up of all these lands in uh, in Nebraska and South Dakota and North Dakota, all those lands uh, are now carbon sinks. They sequester carbon biologically. So whenever you have vast extents of uh, grasslands or biological systems here in the United States or anywhere in the world, they sequester c- carbon. That's what we see happening, for example, in the tropical forests and the a- Amazon. They are huge carbon sinks. The same thing is true here in the United States, whether it's in uh, Florida and the Everglades or whether it's in places like North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. So I think the preservation of those carbon sinks also helps us address uh, the reality of climate change. Mm -hmm. If you don't mind me asking you, assuming we get the pipeline started, how long before we see the benefits of the pipeline? Uh, You know, once uh, projects like this are permitted, uh, they're you know very quick to come online, and so I don't know what the construction schedule is, but I assume they would all be done uh, within uh, a relatively small period of time. I think you know less than a couple of years. Well, that's good so news. Along those, along those lines, what would happen, Bill, is you still have 
you know, you'll, you'll have the pipeline that will be functional for uh, a number of decades. And as oil flows through the pipeline, it would be good to be able to also say that we're doing some great things in the name of conservation, that we're protecting. Uh, Sir, the, you know, I, I hate to interrupt you. We're, we've got a hard break coming up here. If you'll uh, keep sure. that thought, I'll ask you about those benefits on the other side. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley, and then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. Whoa, 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 Sydney! What are you doing beating the crap out of your laptop? This lousy thing runs so slow and then it crashes. My dial-up connection in the 90s was faster. Have you tried restarting it? Three times, Sam. But I find that technology works better when you beat on it a few times. Well, hold on there, Rocky. There's a better way to handle your computer problems. You need the fast, friendly computer pros at User-Friendly Computing. Just drop it off at their office at 505 River Street, across from the Gateway Plaza, and mention KSEO to get a free $50 diagnostic, or give them a call at 831-423-9653, and they'll come to you. PC or Mac, desktop or laptop, they can do it all at user-friendly computing. Call 831-423-9653. 423-9653. Hi, this is Ethan Behrman, a host on the ZBS Radio Network, and I'd like to introduce you to the all-new ZBSRadio.com. ZBS Radio brings you a variety of talk radio programming on subjects like health and nutrition, politics, personal finance, gardening, pet care, technology, and so much more. At zbsradio.com, you'll find podcasts as well as live and on-demand streams of exciting and informative talk radio programming that's available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week on your computer or mobile phone. Listen on the web using our streaming player or in your iTunes or other listening software. Also, be sure to check the app section of our website to find mobile apps that make listening to your favorite shows even easier. Check the shows page at zbsradio.com to see our current lineup of shows. New shows will be added all the time. Thank you for listening to the ZBS Radio Network. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Bill Graff, sitting in for Rebecca Costa. Our guest today is former Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar. And before the break, we were talking about the benefits of the uh, 
of the Keystone Pipeline, and I had to interrupt him because of the hard break. I would like you to, to finish. Uh, we got you started, and then I had to cut you off. No problem, Bill. I, I just think that a conservation royalty, kind of like we have uh, in oil and gas production from the Gulf of Mexico and the Outer Continental Shelf, that provides funding for the Line of Water Conservation Fund, the same kind of concept might be able to uh, create a win-win solution uh, if the pipeline is, in fact, uh, permitted and constructed. Sure. Well, continuing on the topic now of energy independence, Rebecca isn't here today, but she uses a term frequently, which I've kind of adopted myself. She claims that she got the term studying your policies as Secretary of the Interior. She says that you're a, an advocate of something she calls provisional drilling. Now, is this accurate uh, as a description of how you approach the lease and permit requests on public and private lands and offshore? Well, I I don't know that I'd put the label on it provisional drilling because I'm not sure that people know what that means. I would uh, simply say it that we should be drilling for oil and gas in the right places and with the right protections for the environment. Uh, Historically, what has happened is oil and gas drilling has been done kind of on a laissez-faire basis drill anywhere, everywhere, under every rock, and more and more what's happening is the best practices are being developed. Uh, The best oil and gas companies recognize that they shouldn't be developing uh, oil and gas structures in in ecologically sensitive areas. They've developed new technologies to do horizontal drilling so that they can get oil from uh, places far away from where the wellhead is located. So what I, I think that my approach to oil and gas drilling is oil and gas is part of our energy portfolio for the nation. Uh, we are in a very good place in America today relative to the amount of energy that we're producing. And as we continue to produce it, we just have to be smart about where we actually are getting it from. No question, though, that the leaders who impose conditions and restrictions on the leases are continually attacked by environmental groups. And uh, unfortunately, the mismanagement of the government's mineral management service seems to have fueled, I don't know, suspicions that big oil and government might be in collusion. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I do think there were many issues with uh, the Minerals Management Services before we actually cleaned up that agency when I was Secretary of Interior. Mm-hmm. But looking ahead in terms of how you deal with uh, – both public and private lands, there ought to be places where it's appropriate to drill. There are places where it's not appropriate to drill. Uh, I don't think that Americans nor uh, environmentalists nor oil and gas companies would want drilling to occur within the borders of our national parks. Uh, I think those decisions have been made. Now, there are other parts of the public estate and the Bureau of Land Management, for example, where those decisions are tougher to make because the drilling of oil and gas is allowed on public lands, and it's a significant part of the national uh, energy uh, resource that we currently use from those lands. And so there, uh, the kind of uh, master leasing programs that are being developed in places like Utah and other places are guiding the drilling to occur in the best places for drilling and avoiding the places that have uh, conflict with uh, important ecological values. Um, Mr. Salazar, what would you say about uh, the environmentalists who do worry that even though with conditions imposed, it might be too easy for enforcement to falter and another deep horizon event, a deep horizon event to, to, to take place? Well, I I think they have a good point, and that is that it doesn't do any good to have rules if, in fact, they're not going to be enforced. And it doesn't do any of us any good if we have intentions and good rules, uh, but we don't have the personnel resources or the technical resources to be able to carry on the enforcement. And so I think, uh, you know, from that point of view, they, they raise a they, bear, they raise a very uh, a very valid concern. You know, the hope here is that you do have the right regulatory regime in place uh, so that you uh, don't have another Deepwater Horizon. And in order to have that regulatory um, uh, structure in place, it also needs to have the right personnel. They have to be trained in the right way, and you have to be able to make sure that you do the job. I'll say this about the Gulf of Mexico and uh, America's current uh, 
production of, of oil and gas from the Gulf. About a third of the energy that we use in the United States uh, actually comes from the Gulf of Mexico, so it's a huge part of our national security, our economic security, and our environmental security as well. Well, let me ask you about this, because that brings up an interesting point. Uh, Rebecca talked recently with Bob Graham, the former governor of Florida, on on this very program, and she said that... um, the the uh, governor made a trip to Cuba because they're less than 90 miles off uh, our shore and their drilling practices, how do I put this delicately, they're just not the same same standard as ours. And, you know, what happens if they drill a well out there and they they have a deep horizon event themselves, you know, in Cuba? That affects us. Oh, very, very much so, Bill. And so Senator Graham raised a very valid concern there, and it's a very real issue. Uh, Cuba does not have the capacity nor the regulatory regime really to deal with the same issues that we that we do on our part of the Gulf of Mexico. And so when you look at the Gulf of Mexico, it's essentially one pond, uh, and it's shared mostly by the United States and the country of Mexico. There's a small portion that uh, Cuba has, and so it ought to be a real concern. Uh, you know, what happens with exploration, uh, drilling, and production activities off the coast of Cuba, uh, and as importantly, off the coast of, uh, of, of Mexico. How could that impact uh, the United States? And obviously, we're not the sovereigns that govern those waters, but it ought to be, uh, and I know is a big concern uh, of the United States. You know, a great deal was made in the last presidential election about uh, the, the decline in oil leases and permits under the Obama administration, which I don't think was actually accurate but there has been a a big decrease uh certainly not uh by half as was expressed during one debate but while you were sitting as secretary of the interior would you set that record straight for us well you know i think the first point of the record is that um within the administration and the all of the above energy strategy which i helped craft for the president we made it clear that oil and gas was part of that portfolio. We embraced uh, diversity in our fuel mix, including uh, major progress on uh, standing up uh, renewable energy, both on private lands and public lands, solar, wind, and, and geothermal energy. Uh, we were strong on moving forward with uh, efficiency, including having our transportation economy, our vehicles make uh, better mileage than they, than they ever have in the past. But oil and gas is very much a part of the portfolio, so... We sometimes get attacked, uh, and the administration gets attacked for not supporting oil and gas. I think that's not true. I think the administration has supported oil and gas development on public lands. Uh, the fact is, uh, you know, we continue to lease significant uh, amounts of acreage for oil and gas production, both uh, onshore as well as offshore, and uh, continue to grant uh, permits for oil and gas exploration and development. All right. Well, uh We have more with Ken Salazar. We have to take another hard break. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from the former Secretary of the Interior in just a moment. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way.
Here's some Friday fun for you in beautiful Watsonville. The grand opening of a brand new Ace Hardware in Watsonville's East Lake Village. Join the entire Ace crew and me, Charles Friedman, Friday, noon to two at the new Ace Hardware. We'll treat you to free hot dogs and soft drinks. Come on over and get in on the fun. You'll get to meet the really cool Ace people who always greet you at the front door. Ace store owners and sibling rivalists, Manuel and Carlos Rodriguez. Lots of community VIPs. Great deals throughout the store. And of course, Charles Friedman this Friday, noon to two at the new Ace Hardware, 1056 East Lake Avenue, Watsonville. Healthy Way. Healthy Way Radio, let's go back to the phones. We have Sonia on the line. Sonia, how's that Healthy Way diet been working for you? It's been working great for me. I have lost 30 pounds in just three months, four pant sizes. Oh, awesome. And 47 inches. Wow. Uh, I'm a new mom. I was an insulin-dependent diabetic with high blood pressure. And in just three months, I've completely reversed my diabetes. I gave myself four insulin injections in my stomach every day from my diabetes. And I have completely lost all medications, and I'm now 100% diet controlled. Now that is a real Healthy Way success story. I love the Healthy Way. I cannot say enough good things about it. Everyone here has been so supportive, and it has been the easiest thing I have ever done for myself. You folks out there listening, this could be you. All you got to do is call 462-5900. Go in for a free consultation. And yes, tell them everyone sent you. So we decided to upgrade the look of our home. You know, improve the curb appeal. We decided to add the look of stone to the exterior. We really like the stacked stone look. Yeah, but when I checked into the price, it was ridiculous. No way could we afford it. Then a friend told me about Genstone. G-E-N-S-T-O-N-E. Genstone comes in lightweight panels. They've actually engineered the hassle out of installation. No mortar, no mesh. It was easy. Even I could do it. We just screwed the panels to the wall and it looks like stone. I mean, it really looks like stone. Yeah, from the box to the wall in minutes. We love the look of our home now. And Genstone is durable, comes with a 25-year warranty, and offers additional R-value for insulation. If you want the look of stone at a price you can afford, call Genstone at 800-955-STONE. Trust me, you'll save money. And you'll love the look. 800-955-STONE. That's 800-955-7866. Visit GenStoneProducts.com. How many lawyers does it take to answer a legal question? The answer is two. Join my co-host, law professor Stephen Wagner and me, Dean Mitchell Winnick, Saturday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080 for Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Saturday, 4 p.m., we invite you to call in and join the discussion. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Bill Graff, sitting in for Rebecca Costa, who's speaking in Australia today. And if you're just joining us, our guest is former Secretary of the Interior, Mr. Ken Salazar. When it comes to energy independence, we seem to have two main levers in this country. One of those levers uh, is for a cutback on use. The other lever is for an increase in production. And assuming that well, thanks to hybrid cars and energy-efficient appliances and light bulbs and so on, we're doing our best to cut back energy use. Let's talk about production. Presently, we have to buy oil from OPEC to make up for the shortfall between what we need and what we produce. But we have ample natural gas reserves, so much so that even without the Keystone Pipeline, we could probably become OPEC-independent by switching from oil to natural gas. Is that right, Mr. Salazar? Well, we can become more energy secure, and there can be significant savings uh, by using natural gas, for example, for long-haul trucks and, and for many other uses. And that is, in fact, occurring just because of the economics of the much uh, less expensive natural gas than, uh, than other kinds of, of fuel. But just a, a, a quick comment. One is on your cutback comment. That is true. There's a lot that's going on in that space here in the United States, there's still a lot more that can, can go on. And so I think there can be a lot ener- a lot less energy that can be used. In terms of in- increased production, yes, there's a huge a huge boom that's going on right now in the, in the United States on oil and gas. We're producing more oil and more gas than we have uh, in any time in the recent history of the United States. But it's also important to recognize that there's also other energy forms that are coming into the market 
in significant ways. Solar energy, the largest solar uh, commercial utility-powered plants in, in the world are now here in the United States. So there's a lot that's happening in terms of production that goes beyond oil and gas. Well, let's talk about that since you brought it up. Uh, what are some of the other lesser-known ways we can save energy? You know, solar, obviously, and some of the wind generation. But, well, you have to put up an awfully big wind farm to generate the kind of electricity we use in this country. Uh, you'd have to put solar panels on every structure we ever had to, to, to you know, to, to make up the shortfall there. What else are they working on uh, in, in the world of energy, uh, alternative energy? So the, the diversity of our energy portfolio in the United States continues to grow. And uh, in fact, on both wind and solar, we're seeing the cost of both wind and solar coming down and a very significant percentage of the electricity that we now are using in many of our states in the United States uh, is coming from wind energy alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been about a tenfold increase in uh, the amount of, of, of wind energy. And when you think about solar... Uh, some of the plants that we now are operating that are operational in the United States are producing as much electricity as uh, a regular coal-fired power plant. And so there's a lot of that that's going on. But beyond that, the future is in the hands of uh, unfolding, uh, evolving technology, uh, the creation of, of biodiesels from, from algae and from, from other biofuels. Uh, a plant that is being opened up in Hugoton, Texas, or Hugoton, Kansas, that's actually going to be adva- uh, an advanced biofuel uh, 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 complex. And so there's just a whole host of those sorts of things that are that are going on beyond just oil and gas. What about the, uh, the problem we had? Uh, there was a huge... Uh Oh, I don't know how to put this delicately. I guess I'll just say it. Solyndra caused a big problem for the... Uh, you know, for the folks who might want to invest in uh, alternative energy, things like solar, how do you how do you get around something like a risky venture that end up being Solyndra? You know, Bill, those kinds of things will happen. You know, Solyndra was a bad thing. It uh, created lots of problems, not only for Solyndra, obviously, that went into bankruptcy, but also for the whole program because it put a blemish on the whole sure. program. But for every Solyndra, you have uh, hundreds of examples out there of uh, projects that, in fact, uh, are working. You know, we have uh, transformed uh, the potential for renewable energy in this nation just in the last five, six years alone. Uh, the amount of uh, our electricity that's now being produced by wind power and solar energy uh, across the country is, uh, you know, it's, it's grown by leaps and bounds. Now, there's some problems with that or some challenges because you know the the sun doesn't shine 24 hours a day so you have to think about storage but there's also ways in which the sun can be used with um, natural gas so you actually have plants that are uh, fueled by cogeneration they're fueled by the power of the sun when the sun is out and electricity is being produced and put on the grid when the sun's not out because it's cloudy or it's nighttime then the natural gas kicks on Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which technology is helping in revolutionary ways, uh, help you know, getting us to the energy security for the country. You know, in your own home state, you've made leaps and 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 bounds in deploying alternative energy in conjunction with reducing consumption. Talk a little bit about that. How, how you managed to do that in in your home state? Well, yeah, I'm I'm biased, Bill, because I love Colorado. I say, I was born there, and I don't know where I'll die, but I know that I'm going to be buried there. And uh, I just love the innovation and sort of the common sense Western view that uh, Colorado takes on things. And uh, you know, in the area of, of energy, the group of us put together an, uh, an amendment called Amendment 37 that created a renewable portfolio standard and mandated that 10 percent of uh, the energy for the state would come uh, from renewable energy by 2015. That spawned the creation of huge wind farms out on the eastern plains of Colorado and it spawned a renewable energy industry that uh, is helping the Colorado economy in, in major ways. Uh, and, and that standard has since been changed from the time that it was adopted to, to twice, so twi- twice the number, so it's now 20%. So I just think you know, what Colorado has done is, is being done in a number of other states. I think there's now over 30 states 
that have adopted their own renewable portfolio standard. And uh, we're seeing new energies um, power America every day, in part because these common sense policies have been put into place. In your view, has too much uh, of the focus on energy independence moved to the federal level when it really should, in fact, be state governments that, uh, that do this? Well, I think state governments are doing are doing it because the federal government is dysfunctional relative to being able to pass long-term policies at this point in time. There has not been an energy bill uh, passed by the United States Congress uh, since the time that I was in the United States Senate. And uh, so the impasse in terms of moving forward things in Washington has essentially meant that uh, the energy world that we're uh, seeing today is based on the legal framework that we created back in uh, 2005 and 2006 and 2007, coupled with uh, the executive actions that are being taken by the president. Uh, But all of that uh, also recognizes that at the end of the day, much of what we're seeing in energy is being pushed by states and by local governments. So the renewable portfolio standards that you have in in, uh, almost two-thirds of the states in the United States you'd never be able to get that passed in the U.S. Congress today. I mean, there would be no way that you could get that done today. Maybe uh, if things change in the future, you could get that done. But I think in the absence of uh, action by our national government, that the states are doing a great job in terms of moving forward with a number of policies that are good for energy. Forgive me, Mr. Salazar, but I don't think you could get anything passed in Congress right now. (laughs) Seems a little tough. That, that's very true, Bill. I mean, it's uh, you know, both the last Congress and this Congress, which is almost ending now, really have not been able to get a lot done. Yeah. Well, um, I guess the only way to uh, to move this along is to keep persevering at the state and local levels. If uh, folks want uh, to have, uh, you know, better energy uh, independence, they ought to maybe work on local projects and try to get that done. We're coming up on our next hard break. Uh, we uh, want to talk with... Uh, uh, Ken Salazar about uh, the T. Boone Pickens uh, plan to get uh, 18-wheelers uh, changed. Uh, that might save us a little energy as well. We'll do that in the next segment. Uh, we'll remind you that uh, you're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. No matter what business you're in, what happens in Washington can make the difference between business success or failure. That's why understanding where government is headed is so important in today's competitive business environment. But where can you find experts who know firsthand the inner workings of our nation's capital? The American Program Bureau is your leading source for speakers whose experience offer unique insights into where U.S. policy is headed. Speakers like Seth Harris, former acting U.S. Secretary of Labor, Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff, and General Carl Eikenberry, former U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan. For your next meeting or conference, contact the American Program Bureau at apbspeakers.com or 617-614-1600. That's apbspeakers.com. 
the American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Are you feeling angry or irritable, or maybe you're just depressed? Well, it may be that you're suffering from black bile. At least that's what ancient doctors used to think. These days, while no one thinks depression is about black bile, unfortunately, we may have gone too far in the opposite direction by minimizing the significance of bile, which functions as a kind of digestive detergent, dissolving and freeing fats and fatty nutrients from foods. If you're one of the millions of Americans who's suffering from liver impairment, or if you've had a gallbladder removed, your bile detergent system may not be operating at peak efficiency. And because toxins are eliminated from the body via bile, in addition to helping process fats, it also supports detoxification, you may not be eliminating poisons from the body effectively either. A good probiotic supplement can help support the bile's detox role by encouraging bile's elimination from the body. And if you're interested in helping improve bile production, there are nutritional supplements that help there too. One of the easiest is to use supplemental bile salts. You can get them on their own, and many digestive enzyme supplements contain them too. You can also help your body build bile by using precursors, which act as raw materials for bile production. The amino acids taurine and glycine help the body build bile. You might want to throw in 500 milligrams of the B vitamin-like compound choline, which acts as a biliary building block, and vitamin Vitamin C can help you make generous amounts of healthy bile, so making sure you're getting at least a gram or two a day is probably a good idea as well. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Health.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Bill Graff sitting in for Rebecca Costa, who is in Australia today. Our guest is Ken Salazar. And before we move on and change gears from energy independence, I want to ask you about, uh, have you heard about the Pickens plan? According to oil tycoon T. Boone Pickens, if we converted the 8 million 18-wheelers in our country to natural gas, we would uh, probably be able to uh, stop uh, being dependent on OPEC. Have you heard about his plan? I have and have spoken several times with uh, T. Boone Pickens. I think it's part of a solution that is uh, the more that we are able to utilize natural gas uh, the better off we're going to be because uh, natural gas is abundant we have a hundred year supply here in the united states two it's less expensive three it's uh, an environmentally clean fuel yeah so um, i think he's right well good i hope maybe someday we could because you know there's nothing worse than getting behind an 18 wheeler that hasn't had its engine properly maintained when you're going down the freeway <laughs> holy smokes that's true Hey, changing gears for a moment, uh, let's talk about uh, part of your responsibility as the Secretary of Interior was to oversee the management of public lands and natural parks. And, you know, of course, we're having another horrendous fire season in the West. Just as more information is coming out about the realities of pyroterrorism and, and some other problems, we've had reports from government leaders that among the things recovered from Osama bin Laden's hideout were detailed plans on the economic blow which would be administered to the United States by using a, a, a match to set a, a forest fire. It seems to me that that's an area of security that's not really discussed very much. But can you talk about that publicly? Well, it's, it's uh, you know, the threats against the United States from those who want to do us harm are, are many, and certainly many avenues that people could use, and certainly uh, fires are one. You know, we have uh, a huge number of fires in the United States. I think it's somewhere between thirty and 40,000 a year just on uh, forest lands and open spaces. And uh, so most of those fires are started by uh, an act of God, by, by, by lightning. Uh, but there are many of those fires that are started by uh, people who are careless uh, around uh, campfires or uh, or smokers who throw out a, a cigarette on, and it, it, it starts a fire. And so, you know, the 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 reality of uh, wildland fires is a big issue for the United States, uh, but also could 
in uh, the right kind of scenario uh, create significant threats to to our country, including to our national security. You know, uh, I never thought about it until uh, I was reading uh, what Rebecca wanted to ask you about today. And I, I was thinking, you know, what a job the Secretary of the Interior has. I mean, this is a you, – you have to think about a lot of different things. What about – what about uh, – well, let me ask you this. If, if, if you um, could ask Sally Jewell, the current Secretary, to tackle something you weren't able to do as the Secretary of the Interior, what would that be? Yeah, I would ask her – to change the name of the Department of Interior because it's not understood by a lot of people. Uh, the department does a huge amount of work in the area of conservation and energy, and uh, in most places around the country, it really is not well understood that the role of Interior is a huge role. Has seventy-three thousand employees, has responsibilities in all fifty states, uh, out out into America's oceans and the Outer Continental Shelf, from Alaska in the north to the Everglades to the south. Uh, has huge, huge responsibilities, and because of the assets that it oversees, they create uh, uh, they create hundreds of thousands, millions of jobs in the United States. And so, there's a, a big story that in, that in, a big contribution that the department and its employees make. But I think it's uh, you know a department that is not well understood in the public. Public understands national parks; they may understand uh, national wildlife refuges. They understand uh, oil and gas and uh, the Gulf of Mexico, but they, you know, it's a it's a very broad mission that the that the department has. It sure is. Uh, if, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. This is the department that oversees the most property in the United States. You you're overseeing all of the land. So in a very brief description uh, the department of the interior oversees more than 20 percent of the land mass of the united states it wow. also oversees all of the ocean floor of the outer continental shelf from the atlantic to the gulf of mexico to the arctic sea so it's a vast expanse and any one of the states uh california for example there are dozens of national parks uh from uh yosemite to uh to alcatraz those are all units of the national park system you have uh, the wildlife refuges and, and fisheries that are overseen by the by the Fish and Wildlife Service. You have uh, Indian issues where you have in California hundreds of uh, of tribes and bands of, of, of Indians, and, and the responsibility for the United States uh, falls on the Department of Interior with respect to that relationship. So, just a, it's a department that has a, a huge reach. Let me just say, from my point of view. Bill, I, I, you know, I, I could have, may have had the options to have done some other things uh, on the cabinet, but uh, I think that I had the best job in the United States because I, I was able to work on matters and travel to all 50 states. I was in uh, Barrow, Alaska, and that was uh, the Inuit uh, indigenous Eskimo people in the north. I was uh, in the Everglades with... Uh, the four million uh, acres of the river of grass we're trying to restore in the Everglades, and in every single one of the states, we have uh, spectacular parts of what is uh, the legacy of the United States. Legacies created by presidents in their times, like Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt and John Kennedy. So um, it's a it's a wonderful uh, position to to serve on the cabinet as secretary. We're running out of time here. Before we go, I would like to ask you, how can folks keep up with your activities and opinions? Uh, do you have a website? You know, I, I'm, I think we do have a website. I've really not been very active in uh, keeping up through those, through those means. I'm mostly, in these days, uh, practicing law and uh, helping out a few causes. I'm uh, helping with uh, an America's Conservation uh, Political Action Committee, which is helping candidates who are running for office who have an interest in uh, the conservation of America's land, water, and wildlife. We're doing it in a bipartisan way, supporting both Democrats and Republicans who have a sensitivity to our planet. So, uh, but I I don't, uh, I think there may be a website, but I'm not even sure. Well, that's why there's Google. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Ken, Ken Salazar, we want to, uh, we're run, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but I, but I have to say uh, that uh, your approach, uh, pragmatic approach to energy and the environment uh, and your service to our country is something we must thank you for. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Bill, and uh, thank you for letting, uh, giving me the opportunity to be on the Costa Report. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or comment to make about our interview with uh, Ken Salazar today, you can email us at RebeccaCosta.com or drop us a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let us know whether Ken Salazar's practical approach to energy development was the right one. He set tougher conditions and standards on oil companies in exchange for leases and permits, but will those be enforced? Or over time, will our... Thirst for energy causes us to compromise even more. And uh, until the point where we've lowered the bar enough to open the door for another Deep Horizon event. Let us know what you think. And by the way, if you missed the full interview with Ken Salazar today or any of our guests, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from the website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. And while you're at the website, make sure you order a copy of Rebecca's book, The Watchman's Rattle. If you think Rebecca is one of the smartest, most informed people on the radio today, well, that doesn't even come close to the book she's written about how every government and every human being eventually falls prey to complexity. You should really read the book. It's it's fascinating. Uh, Regulations, laws, oversight, processes, even basic information becomes too unwieldy, and when it does... We have a pattern throughout history of being, uh, well, basing decisions and unproven beliefs rather than on facts. So Rebecca demonstrates in her book that uh, that's the pattern that affects us now, and we may be in trouble. We'll be back with another hour of the Cost Report in just a, a moment or two. Rebecca will be back from Australia and behind the mic again next week when her guest will be physician and former Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, one of the few leaders qualified to weigh in on where we stand on health care in the United States. Don't miss Bill Frist next week on the only news program which puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for the second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management